tickets flow, and this is my impression of a politician. I believe in the people, and their cars, and progressive, and the fact that you, yes, you can plug in Snapshot to save even more money for being a good driver. I also believe in Sasquatch, but more as a joke, but also kind of seriously. Safe drivers save with Snapshot from Progressive. I approve of this message, and Sasquatch, if you are real, you can totally be my running mate. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company. Snapshot not available in all states. everybody and thank you for joining me again this morning on Next on the T. I'm your host Chris Mascaro and today I have uh, one of my favorite guests of all time on the show along with me and that's PGA Tour Pro Bob Friend Jr. Going back to last week when uh, Paul Stankowski joined me, now this week with, with Bob Friend Jr. and looking uh, ahead forward to uh, January the 31st when Eric Johnson will join me again. I have the wonderful privilege of kicking off uh, the 2015 year with uh, three guys along with my father that I would put in my dream bison. I've had such a great time every time Bob has joined me on this show, so we're going to have a lot of fun this morning. So sit back and relax, and uh, we hope you enjoy the next uh, 45 minutes to an hour that uh, we get the opportunity to talk with Bob. He'll be along with me in just a moment. But before we get started, I want to kick off the show like we do every week by saluting the brave men and women serving in our military. We want to thank you for your daily sacrifices and all that you do to keep the rest of us safe. We also want to thank those of you who serve or have served in every branch of the military and public service. We truly appreciate what you do to preserve our freedoms and our liberties. It's through your strength and your efforts that our way of life is even possible. Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and all the wonderful folks over at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It's an honor for us to be a part of your network. You can find us by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org. We also want to thank everyone listening in on iHeartRadio, as well as great radio sites across the Internet like Spreaker, Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, Player.fm, and Blog Talk Radio as well. Also want to give a special shout out to our good friends Mike Kovacs, Ben Curran, Mark Medeski, and the rest of the great staff over at LastWordOnSports.com. Check those guys out online and on Twitter. Their site is absolutely fantastic and contains great content across every sport. Their staff of writers are wonderful. You're going to love going to their site every day to get your sports news. If you haven't been there yet, then check it out and then bookmark it. Again, LastWordOnSports.com. Plus, If someone's dragging you to the mall or to the grocery store or you're just tired of the same old, same old on your commute, download the Player.fm or Stitcher app on your smartphone and take us with you everywhere you go. Let's give you something fun to focus on while you're out and about doing your chores or doing your errands or your commute to work and uh, back home every day. Our show is brought to you by the great folks over at Kyven Foods. Former Bengals and Falcons tight end Reggie Kelly has created a wonderful array of products. His salsas, sauces, and spices are all natural, and they are going to liven up every meal or recipe you have. So while your friends at your next house party 
or your next tailgate party by adding Kyven products to everything on your menu. Check them out online, kyven82.com, and Kyven is K-Y-V-A-N, the number 82.com. All right, now back with me on the Kyven Foods guest line. Like I said a moment ago, is one of my favorite guests, Bob Friend Jr. Let me remind you a little bit about Bob's background. He's from my hometown, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He played on the nationwide tour and the PGA Tour from 1990 to 2003. He had five top ten finishes in his rookie season. Uh, He got his first win at the 1991 Fort Wayne Open. He had five top ten finishes again in 1994 and three more in 97. But uh, baseball fans are going to remember his father, who played in the major leagues from 1951 to 1966, mostly with the Pirates, and was a key member of their 1960 World uh, World Series championship team that beat the Yankees on Bill Mazeroski's home run in the bottom of the ninth in Game 7. Ah, Pittsburgh fans remember it well to this day. Bob can be heard broadcasting as well on the Back Nine Network and on Sirius XM, as well as uh, hosting a local radio show that can be heard all over West Virginia called Tea to Green. He's also the Director of Operations for Pikewood National Golf Club in Morgantown, West Virginia, which, folks, is absolutely one of the most beautiful golf courses anywhere on the planet. And uh, I am thrilled that he has taken some time out of his morning to be back with me on the show. Good morning, Bob. How have you been, my friend? Wow, I'm doing great, Chris. That was one heck of an introduction. Uh, doing great. I'm down in Florida, and uh, I'm not in Pittsburgh freezing my keister and uh, <laughs> getting ready to go out and play. And, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's lousy. I left. Uh, I'm getting down here, prepared, getting prepared for Champions Tour qualifying for the year. Uh, you know, my status gives me the opportunity to Monday qualify for events. And so the owner of the company, John Racy, uh, the company that owns Pikewood National Golf Club, is called Greer Industries largest limestone producer in the state of West Virginia, and, and there's so many other diverse uh, principles that it's, it's almost too hard to uh, name them all, but uh, I'm down here playing and practicing. I left last Thursday. Pittsburgh, it was zero uh, with a wind chill of wow. minus 20. I was putting my bike rack on the back of my car, my bike in the car, and normally it's a process. It takes about five minutes. It took me about 30 because my hands wouldn't work. So uh drove down, got down here last Friday and uh got to hitting the hitting the ball again after six or seven weeks off uh last Friday. So everything everything is great. Ah, good for you, my friend. Bob, you know, as as we approach a new golf season how do you get ready? You know, um, you know, Mr. Nicholas used to say that, you know, he'd meet with Jack Grout and, and they'd start off, you know, kind of reacquainting themselves with the basics, making sure his grip and his posture and his setup, you know, were all back sort of in place after having taken, you know, to your point, six weeks off, eight weeks off, whatever it was back in the day when he played. How do you get yourself kind of prepared again to make sure everything is where it needs to be as you're getting ready to start off another golf season? Well, I think the first thing that, that your listeners have to be aware of um, is that you know, you got to stay in shape. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where uh, even though you might not be hitting a golf ball and you might not be putting and tripping this, that, and the other, uh, tour players, for the most part, you know, now it's with the wraparound season, there's less time off as you had before. But when I played right. on the PGA Tour, the season would basically end in November, and then you would have November, December, and then, you know, late December you'd start to go. Even I lived in Pittsburgh, so you go down to Florida and start playing and practicing. And then the, the tour would start up in early January. So, um, you know, you take some time off. You have to have that time off to be able to recharge your batteries because it is such a grind. And, you know, you have to make sure that you've got your priorities in order uh, where, you know, your family, you know, God, family, country, uh, you know, that, that sort of stuff comes first. And so you've got to make sure you spend some time with your kids and your parents 
and whatnot. And so, uh, you know, you want to take some time off and walk away from the game. But the whole time you also have to stay in shape. And so one of the things that, uh, that I always make sure that I do is that uh, not just in the off season, but all, all throughout the years that I work out. I work out three or four days a week. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a so-called meathead where I'm sitting here and I'm trying to, you know, I'm drinking, you know, whey protein by the, by the gallons, but I do a lot of weightlifting and I do a lot of cardio to make sure my legs are strong and my core is strong. Um, and so that when you come down and you, you know, you kind of get back into it, uh, you don't feel like a disgusting slob and you're, you know, you're, at the end of the day, you're still an athlete. Um, but once that's, once that's been said, you know, when you, even in the off season, you want to make sure that you, that you lift weights and you keep your weight down and you take care of yourself. Um, you know, it's, it's important not to get, not to hit too many balls early on, because usually if you take six weeks off and you don't touch a golf club, your hands are going to be a little softer than they were the one you left. And so the last thing that you want to do is, is go out there and beat balls for five or six hours. Next thing you know, your hands are, are raw. So, uh, really the, you know, the first thing, the, the, the first thing to come back is going to be the ball striking. Um, very rarely does somebody's golf swing change from day to day or month to month. Uh, even when you're making swing changes, you put your golf swing on video, it really doesn't change that much. The last thing to come back is going to be your short game. So usually when I, have, when I take a break, the first thing that I spend a lot of time on is my short game, the pitching, the chipping, the putting, um, the bunker game. I mean, that's usually the last thing to come back because it's a, it's a field type thing and uh, it requires a lot of imagination. If you haven't hit those shots in a while, it's going to take you a while to kind of get the uh, the juices flowing mentally to be able to hit those shots in a uh, in an orderly fashion. So, Bob, you and I are very similar in stature, about five eight, five nine, one seventy, one eighty range. You know, for you know, I'm in amazement at guys that that are you know very similar to me in size and weight and that sort of thing, and how much power that you guys are able to generate, you know, and play the game, you know, how do you, you know, how are you able to keep up with, you know, the, the golf courses are growing in length. And I know that the, you know, the golf ball and the, and the, and the, and the you know, the drivers and the equipment and the technology that goes into that is, is so much better than it was back in the day. But even playing a golf course that's 7,000 to 7,500 yards long seems amazing to me for someone, you know, again, of my, you know, of my stature, how do you do it? Well, I mean, you know, first of all, the uh, as you said, that you know, Jack Nicklaus takes time off, and uh, everybody takes time off, and you go and you get back to the basics. And what everybody has to understand is that the golf swing is built around the grip, posture, ball position, and alignment. Uh, that those four things right there are dictate how you swing the golf club. And if you're deficient in any one of those areas, and you're going to make compensations in your golf swing, and when you make compensations in your golf swing, deficiencies drop. Can you still hit the ball relatively straight? Absolutely you can, but you're going to have a power leak somewhere. So, again, it goes back to having, you know, a good grip where, you know, on your, speaking as a right-handed player, uh, you know, when you grip the golf club, you want to make sure that you can see two to three knuckles on your left hand and the V created between your, right index, between your index finger and your thumb is going towards your right shoulder. Put your right hand on over top of that where your, the, the lifeline of your right hand covers the left thumb, and both these are, again, going towards your right shoulder. Uh, you, posture is, is one of the big things that, that most amateurs have a problem with. Um, what people don't realize, and what they realize, they just don't they, don't, they forget it, is that golf is a sport. And every single sport that we've played, whether it be uh, soccer, ready position for soccer, whether it be for baseball, football, basketball, 
you know, the posture is the same. The weights on the balls of your feet, the instep of your instep of your shoes is about as wide as your as your hip sockets. Your your butt is up and out, and your back is erect, and you're in balance. And that really is the same posture that you need to have starting when you get to the golf ball. That you got to have the weight in the balls of your feet, your butt is up and out, your back is erect, and you're in balance. And again, the most one of the most important things is making sure that your feet aren't too wide or too narrow. And that is again having the instep of your shoes being as wide as your hip sockets. If they get wider than that, then you're going to restrict the motion of your lower body, which is where the power comes from. If they're too narrow, then it's almost impossible to make lateral motion, which is what you're doing in the golf swing. And then your ball position, you, know, you check your ball position all the time. With uh, you, know, you put sticks down on the ground for alignment, but that's also looking at your ball position. And my, my ball position rules are your wedges and your 9-iron are played in the middle of your stance. Your 8-iron through your 5-iron are played off your left chest logo. And uh, your four iron and your hybrids and your metals are played off your left uh, armpit, and then your drivers played off the inside of your left heel. And again, all this stuff goes to um, being able to generate power in an efficient way, deliver the most power you possibly can at the point of impact. When it comes to your alignment, you want to have your shoulders, your hips, and your knees parallel left of your target, parallel to your target line. Um, and so once you get those things and then, you, you know, basically start, start in balance, you have an opportunity to, to, to strike it in balance and finish in balance. Um, but basically, you know, the, the power really comes from really what I think are three components, which is the, the width of your golf swing, which is how far away your left arm is from the, from the center of your, uh, of your turn at the top of your golf swing. doesn't mean the club has to get to parallel. It doesn't necessarily have to be. But you need to have a nice, nice straight left arm, and you need to have width in your golf swing, again, which is how far away are your hands from the center point of your turn. Number two is how much can you turn your upper body against a relatively stable lower body. And then number three the, you know, is, is how quickly can your lower body unturn from the top of the golf swing because the sequence of events in the golf swing are on the way back, it's hands, arms, shoulders, and hips, on the way down, it's hips, shoulders, arms, and hands. And what you have is that most amateurs, uh, I've not seen you swing the golf club, Chris, but I assume as a, as a pretty good player, uh, you, you've got a, a modicum of understanding of, of how the golf swing works, but most amateurs don't. They, they, they go and they, they try to hit at the golf ball with their upper body, and usually what happens is they, they dump the so-called angle. And, uh, you know, the game is all about physics. You can have guys that are small in stature, such as a Ricky Fowler, uh, a Willie Wood, who is more of a contemporary of mine than Ricky. Uh, small guys that generate a heck of a lot of horsepower in the golf swing, again, because they have good fundamentals. And uh, the sequence of events in the top of the golf swing, again, is hips, shoulders, arms, and hands. And that way, the angle between the club head, between the shaft and the left arm is retained longer as opposed to trying to hit the golf ball and basically throwing your hands at it and losing any angle that you would have retained, and that's basically where you lose power. So really it becomes, uh, you know, those, those three components, and, uh, you know, how quickly can your lower body fire through the hitting area, unturn through the hitting area to start the sequence of events on the way down. There you go. Now, you, you've mentioned all of those things, and you, you know that you are working out in the off season at least you know a couple of days a week, three days a week, and and Bob, we've not met in person, but I've seen you know many pictures of you, and you have some pretty thick forearms. Is that genetic, or is that something that you you, you try to develop as well to kind of help you with the you know whether it's strengthen your grip or strengthen your backswing? 
Well, I think that, you know, look, genetics have a lot to do with it. I mean, the only thing that I don't have that my father had was height. My father's six feet tall. I'm five eight. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm built very similar to my father. I've got a big back. I've got, I've got, you know, powerful arms and powerful forearms. And I do believe that that is a lot of genetics, but also too, I mean, I've, I've hit an enormous amount of golf balls. And so whenever you're doing any type of activity with your hands, it is going to increase the strength, uh, and the size of your forearms. So it definitely is a, it definitely is a plus to have powerful forearms and powerful hands, especially when you're trying to get the golf ball out of the rough. Uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, I, again, I mean, I was, uh, growing up, I was a wrestler. I wrestled, I played football, I played ice hockey. Um, and I started playing golf when I was 13. I also played baseball, obviously, but I started playing golf when I was 13. And when I was 14, I made a decision that that's what I was going to do, uh, with my life as a vocation. And, and so I've worked very hard at it, but I've, you know, I've hit a lot of golf balls, Chris. And then the one thing that I have known, whether you're talking with somebody that's a pipe fitter. Uh, or somebody that's turning wrenches, the guys that are doing the work with their hands are the guys that have the most powerful forearms and most powerful hands. There you go. Well, you know, one of the things, Bob, that we've talked about in the past, I'm always curious, you know, to get, the, you know, your opinion on things like this, where, you know, every year equipment manufacturers come out with, you know, some new technology that's, you know, going to make the driver better. They're consistently, you know, pushing the USGA limits around those sort of things. When you take out, you know, the driver that you that you had in your bag over the wintertime and, you know, a rep puts a new driver in your hands, you know, this year's latest model, do you compare the two and do you actually see a marked difference from year over year? Do you kind of look at it and go, you know, it's eh, about the same as far as I'm concerned? Well, no, I, I think that you – I don't necessarily know from year to year. You know, we got in these companies, got, uh, you know, tailor-made, uh, kind of got in a little bit of trouble with a very with a shortened product cycle. You know, we're all – everybody that pays attention to golf is, is well aware of what happened with Dick's Sporting Goods. And uh, right. the fact is that, you know, tailor-made, uh, you know, when you go and you release a new product every three months to four months, uh, you basically are cannibalizing the products that you had out there. Uh, I think right. when you what you see is you see a real uh, you see a real difference between probably every two or three years in terms of your driving. Now, look as, as people get older, uh, generally what I have found is that people have a tendency to play shafts that are too stiff for them. And ideally, what you know what all the engineers, whether it's a tailor made, I play a tailor made driver, I'm a Mizuno guy. I play I've played Mizuno irons for 17 years. Uh, I'm playing a tailor-made SLDR, the 430 head, the smaller head that I picked up last year at the Allianz Championship. And, you know, all the engineers and all the companies are basically shooting for the same thing. They're shooting for high launch, low spin on the golf ball. And so what they, what they, what I, at least what I understand, is that you're trying to shoot for something that's going to launch the ball between 11 and 13 degrees from the start, and that you want to have your RPMs anywhere from 3,100 RPMs down to maybe 2,400 RPMs. When that ball gets up to the top and the ball is coming down a very flat parabola, so when the golf ball lands, not only is it carrying far because you've launched it high, but when the ball lands on a flat parabola, the golf ball is, is running out. And so what I have found, and I think what a lot of my contemporaries have found on the Champions Tour, is that uh, in spite of being you know, 15, years younger, 15 years older than their prime, you know, in the mid-30s, the guys are hitting the golf ball longer now just because with, number one, the improved golf ball, and number two, with the, the improved technology with the, vari- the variable weighting on the drivers, you know, raising the, the center of gravity on the drivers and moving the weight back in the drivers, and you've got 
you know, rails where you can, you know, dial in a fade or dial in a, a draw or whatnot. But really the thing that's changing, other than the golf ball, is really the, the technology and the shafts. You know, the shaft, is, uh, the shaft is the engine of the golf club, and especially more so in drivers than anything else. I mean, you can take a guy with a 8.5-degree head, and with the right, he can launch it straight up in the air. And uh, you want to make sure that that ball is, again, is flying in a nice soft parabola and not having a rapid increase in the height, where that would, would basically designates that the golf ball has too much backspin on it. So, um, again, you know, the technology is remarkable. It's, it's made to make the get, it's, it's all really there to make the game easier. It's a very difficult game, as we all know. And, um, you know, you sit there and you go and you watch PGA Tour events and Champions Tour events, and the guys, just, they hit the ball so far. And um, it's, it's really mm-hmm. fun to watch. You get up there and you watch a guy like a, a J.B. Holmes or a Dustin Johnson or a Roy McIlroy hitting golf balls 330, 340 yards long. It's just it's mind-blowing. Does the same sort of thing hold true, Bob, for, you know, all the golf ball innovations? I mean, there are a million styles and varieties of golf balls out there now. Do you do you spend time, you know, trying them, you know, whether it's, and I don't know if you're a tailor-made guy on the golf ball side or, you know, a, a Titleist guy, but do you go back through and look at all the different, you know, innovations that come out with the different golf balls and line them up to see which one is a best fit for you? Well, I've been I've been with Titleist since 1984. I played in the U.S. Open as a 20-year-old amateur at Wingfoot, and um, I've been on what's you know what, I've been on their their ball list and shoe and, and glove list since 1984. I'm a very loyal guy. Titleist has been fantastic, Jimmy. But also, I, I honestly believe that Titleist makes the best products in the game of golf when it comes to golf balls. Uh, I mean, they do a lot. Of, they do a lot of things very well. And all the other companies, they all make very nice products. Um, I'm a firm believer that Titleist makes the best. Now, what I think is important for amateurs, and, and here's, here's where it kind of gets a little bit sticky in terms of deciding which golf ball you need to play. Um, you're not, you know, the average amateur is going to swing a driver about 90 miles an hour. In order to right. get the full, really explosive distance that you need to get from a Pro V1 or a Pro V1X golf ball, you've got to have a swing speed of 111, 112 miles an hour and above. That's when you start getting into that serling core, and that ball really, really takes off off the club. And you're not picking up 10 yards. You're picking up 25 and 30 extra yards. That being said, uh, you know, distance is a sexy thing. You know, it's, it'd be fantastic <laughs> if we could all hit the ball 30 or 40 yards long. And, you know, when these amateurs say, oh, I know this guy that hits it 280, no, the guy really hits it about 240. But the, at the end of the day, the most important part of the game is played from 100 yards and end. And if right. you don't believe me, I'll throw, I'll throw the stat out at you. In 1945, Byron Nelson won 18 tournaments on the PGA Tour. He won 11 in a row, incidentally a record that will never be eclipsed. 11 tournaments in a row, 18 tournaments that year. His scoring average was 68.33. Well, the guys that are playing today drive the ball between 75 and 100 yards beyond where Byron Nelson drove the golf ball. Where's the scoring average? Scoring average hasn't moved. The scoring average has not moved. The scoring average is still between 68.5 and 69.5. And so basically wow. what that tells you, what has changed? Well, the distance of golf ball has changed. No question, it's changed dramatically. But the scoring clubs haven't changed. And so when you sit there and you go and you take a look at these facilities, uh, you know, they have these great short game areas. There's not a blade of grass disturbed on the short game facility. The range is all beat to, to crap. But the short game facility basically goes the entire summer all untouched. And so 
My point with the golf ball is this. If you play like a Pro V1 or Pro V1X golf ball, you're going to pay a little bit more for it than you would, say, for an NXT. But what is important, what is important is what are you doing around the grains? And can you get a golf ball to take that little hop and check, a golf ball that's nice and soft around the grains? So, yeah, I mean, you might hit an NXT further than you hit a Pro V1X, but which ball is going to feel better around the grain and perform better around the grain? And that's, that's what I really think is important for amateurs when they go and they start getting into, you know, different golf balls. It's, you know, they all want to do distance, distance, distance. But the most important component is how does a golf ball perform around the greens with less than optimum swing speed? Look, anybody can spin a golf ball uh, when you're swinging at, at full speed. It's, it's simple physics. You're a descending blow with a clean contact, and the ball is going to get up in the air with, the, with enough swing speed. You're going to put backspin on the golf ball. But it's getting the golf ball to stop and check around the greens with, with less than optimum swing speeds. So again, that's, that's where amateurs really should take a look at selecting the golf ball that they use. It's the one that's going to perform best around the greens in the short game situations. So, yeah, so to to further that thought, Bob, you, you talked about, you know, how to get maximum distance out of a Pro V1 or a Pro V1X, you got to swing the golf club at, a, you know, 111 miles an hour to kind of get that extra distance. So for amateurs like us, to your point, let's take that out of the equation and off the table. Now, are, are you saying still look at the Pro V1 and the Pro V1X because those balls will help you spin and, you know, get check out of the ball from that 100 yards and in distance? That's correct. That's correct. What I'm saying is that everybody talks about distance, distance, distance. You go and you watch the commercials, and we're getting ready to get in the golf season here playing in the sunny open in Hawaii. And, you know, you watch the golf and you see all this, that, and the other. Distance, distance, distance is what everybody's talking about. And what I'm saying is, yes, that's nice. But the most important thing is that, look, if the Amher goes and plays an NXT uh, as opposed to a Pro V1, he might get 10 yards further out of it, which is always kind of nice. But what you're giving up around the greens, is it, is it worth it? And I'm saying that it is not. I'm, I think that the, the best-performing right. golf ball is the one, again, which is going to have the highest spin with, with less than optimum swing speed. And that's on the little right. delicate pitches and right. chips around the green. You want to get a golf ball that is soft, that's going to check, and that's going to respond to the shots around the green because that's where the game is played. You know, you take any, any 10 or 15 handicap, and, you know, they say, oh, you know, I want to get into single digits. Well, the best, the first thing that I'm going to do is go work on your short game. Let's go over here. Let me show you some pitch shots. Let me show you some chips. How is your bunker game? That's where that's where you're really going to improve. That's where you're really going to drive those scores down, is around the greens. And it's again, everybody, you know, we've got at Pikewood National Golf Club. The golf course is really big. It's 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 big and muscular. It's long. Um, we just the Golf Digest just came out. We're now ranked 44th in the United States. And we're nice. ranked 74th in the world. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a fantastic place. Um, but the, the golf course has a fantastic short game area, beautiful short game area. It red shots all the way up to 85, 90 yards to, to a great practice green. And any type of shot you can possibly imagine the game of golf, you can use there. And what I tell the guys that I work with when I'm, when I'm back there teaching as, as director of operations at Pikewood National, if you want to go and take a look at this club, and if this club was called Tour Pro National Golf Club instead of Pikewood National Golf Club. By the end of June, there wouldn't be a blade of grass left on the short game area because every single Tour Pro, when they go to a place, all they, they work on their short games. I mean, yes, they go and they hit balls. They might have an instructor, might have a caddy there with an iPhone or an iPad, and they've got V1 software on it, this, that, and the other. 
Um, but for the most part, the guys are working on their short games, their putting and their pitching and their chipping and working on their sand games. That's where the scoring is, and that's where you have to get better. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And I know we've I've had that conversation many times with uh, with Gary Player, who is a big proponent of that. To your point, you know, the game is won and lost from 100 yards in. The majority of the golf shots are from 100 yards in. And if you're not out there developing your feel and your touch to, to you know, whether that's get you know get home in three on a par five or up and down from you know in and around the greens, you know, that's that's where you know amateurs like me we lose our strokes. We we turn fours into sixes in a heartbeat. Because we're not, uh, we 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 haven't developed that kind of feel and touch. And the next thing you know, you're putting from 25 yard or 25 feet out for for par or bogey instead of for birdies and pars. Well, ab- absolutely. And take a look. Take a look at the putter alone. If you go and you shoot 72, let's say you're a scratch putter, you go and you shoot 72. Almost half of your shots going to be with one club, the putter. Almost half of your shots are going to be with right. one putter. And when you take when you when you go and you combine a driver and a putter, more than fifty percent of your shots are going to be taken with two clubs. Yeah, and, good you know, point. So no, I, mean, I thought about that. That's exactly right. Yeah. So again, you want to work work on your short game, work on your putting, work on your pitching. Uh, you know, it all goes. You know, remember Valerie Hogan. Uh, you know, Ben Hogan early in his career before he started winning majors and and and, and big tournaments was complaining about his putting and. Yeah, geez, I just can't make any birdies, this, that, and the other. And then Valerie, who really wasn't a golf shooter, said, well, why don't you hit the ball closer to the hole? And it's the same, it's the same <laughs> thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you want to putt better, chip the ball closer, pitch the ball closer, a bunker game, sand game, get the ball closer to the hole. From, you know, 85 yards and in, instead of hitting the ball 35, 40 feet away, think about how much better your scores would be if you can hit those shots 15, 15 and 10 feet away. I mean, your scores would go down dramatically. Every single person listening to this, uh, this rate. I mean, again, if you just if, if you if you have two hours a week practice, you should spend at least at least one hour on your short game. At least half your time you should spend your short game. Nah, no, that's great advice, and I couldn't agree with that more. All right, Bob, let's let's talk, let's switch gears a little bit. You were. Um, you were teammates with David Toms at LSU when you guys were both playing in college. David had a solid year last year, had a couple of top 10 finishes among his 20 starts. And so far this season, you know, back at the you know Sanders, uh, Sanderson Farms Championship in November, he had another one. So he's about to turn 48 years old here in a couple of weeks, playing well. Do you guys keep up with one another, and do you, and do you kind of feed off one another's successes? Oh, I absolutely keep in touch with David. You know, David was a freshman when I was a senior. And, you know, I can honestly tell you, uh, you know, David's a freshman. I mean, you're sitting there, you come in, you're playing major college golf. David was a David was a phenom as a junior. He won the he won the San Diego the, the, the Pee Wee Junior World out in San Diego. Uh he broke Sam Randolph's scoring record there by like seven shots. So David David has always had the ability to shoot low numbers, was never afraid was never afraid to go low. And, um, but I can honestly tell you, um, you know, after his freshman year, we knew he was going to, you know, he was an AJGA All-American, first-team All-American. We knew he was a good player. He had a pretty good year for his freshman year, and then sophomore year was a little bit better. And then, I, and then he really started working at it, because David, the, the game came very easy for David, and he really didn't work too hard on it his freshman year or his sophomore year. Then he started putting a lot of time in it. And David, his last two years at LSU, was first-team All-American, uh, his last two years, 
And uh, he won the Southeastern Conference his senior. I think he won by like 12 shots or something like that, the individual title. So it was never it was never a surprise that David would have the success that he's had. Uh, he's always been a great driver of the golf ball. One of those guys that you would refer to as sneaky long. He gets up there and he hits it. He hits that little bleeder out there, and you get out there, and the guy's driving the ball 285. It's like, whoa, really? Little guy like that hits the ball that far? Great putter. Uh, like a Marine Corps sniper with his irons when he's on. When he is on with his irons, he can he can tear flags out of the out of the, out of the ground. I mean, he is amazing amazing iron player. Um, but the neatest thing about David, and again, I've, I, I I stay in touch with him. We're both LSU guys. We both bleed purple and gold, especially when the football team is playing. Uh, and, you know, every Saturday, uh, you know, if David is well within reach, he'll hop on a jet and he'll go to the LSU game. Um, so we, we stay in touch. We used to play a lot when I was on tour. And I can honestly tell you that the only thing that has changed about David Toms now from when he was a freshman is about $75 million in his bank account. Uh, David, <laughs> Toms is, David Toms is about as, as one of the nicest guys that you will ever meet. He is the real deal. He has always been a gentleman. He's always been a lot of fun. Uh, I remember years ago I went down for LSU's national championship game in New Orleans in 2003, and I took a buddy of mine down there from Pittsburgh. And, and LSU, we he, they went over my he and his wife over to my house, and we were watching the SEC championship game. LSU beats Georgia, and you know I yell out to my wife. I said, "Hey, we're going to be in the national championship. Can I go?" She said, "Sure." And he's like, "Well, can I go too?" She, his wife said, "Sure." So we go down there, and so the the first call I make was to David. I said, "David, I need to get some." tickets he says not a problem he said I'll, I'll get you all set up and then i called a guy named rick george who used to run the tournament in new orleans and i said can you get me a hotel i said sure i'll get you put up at the hilton riverside so my buddy toby o'brien and i go down to new orleans and get down there on saturday and on sunday i meet david in the lobby of the hilton and we get tickets introduced to toby and everything else and then toby being you know sunday in new orleans we go out and we go out for a few hours and uh, you know, have a couple of uh, early afternoon libation, and we come back about two o'clock in the afternoon to our bed, and uh, you know, get back to the hotel room, and you know, we got double beds in there, and you know, we we both say, you know, let's take a nap for a little bit, rally, we'll go about out a little bit later. So we go into the bed, you know, I, I go to put, you know, got on my shorts and my t-shirt, go to get in bed, and David David had short sheeted, had gotten into our <laughs> hotel rooms, and had short sheeted both of our beds. <laughs> and in 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 pink silly string had written "Go Tigers" underneath the pillows. I mean, it's just you know, just just as you know, it's just the sort of stuff he did. He's just a great guy, and uh, my buddy got a kick out of that. He says, "That's cool." He said, "The PGA champion just short sheeted my bed," you know. So it was, um, you know, it was it was a great thing. But David is a, he's a wonderful guy. I played with some great guys there at LSU. My golf coach was Buddy Alexander there, who ended up going on to Florida. And having a wonderful career there in Florida, but we learned an awful lot from Buddy, and it was just, uh, you know, LSU was just a wonderful place to go to school. With a lot of guys ended up playing on the PGA Tour, such as uh, Emlyn Aubrey, who played out there for about eight years, and Charles Rawlinson played out there for a year. Um, you know, obviously David's had the best career. Greg Lesher's another guy that played out there for a couple of years. Brian Bateman had some success, so uh, we had some pretty right. good teams there at LSU in the late eighties or early nineties. When uh, David turns 50, like I say, he'll be 48 here in a couple of weeks. So a couple of years from now, he'll, he'll turn 50. Might we see the two of you paired up in some events out there on the Champions Tour? Well, I, I sure as hell hope so. I can tell you that his, uh, his path to the Champions Tour is going to be easier than mine because he's won so often out there. 
Uh, you know, I didn't win on the PGA Tour. I won on the on the Web.com Tour. And I, you know, my best finish on the PGA Tour was a playoff loss to Billy Andrade uh, in the 1998 Bell Canadian Open. Um, you know, so for me, it's a little bit more of a grind. I've got a Monday qualifying. You know, who knows what happens this year? You know, I I always come in. I'm, I'm always optimistic, and I always work hard. And uh, you know, hopefully, you never know. We might get out there, qualify for a tournament, and win one of them. And, uh, you know, make my path a little bit easier going forward. But I would love to have the opportunity to compete and play against my old college teammate, David Thompson. He's just uh, he's, a, he's a gem of a guy. Next year, the uh, speaking of qualifying, next year the U.S. Open returns to Oakmont. Is uh, qualifying for that event uh, one of your goals as we look forward to 2016? Oh, absolutely. Look, I played, um, I played in four U.S. Opens. I played in 84 as an amateur at Wingfoot. I played in 88 at the country club as a professional, and I, I played in 94 at Oakmont. Um, and then I also played in 99 at Pinehurst. So I'd love to get one more in there. Um, you know, it's tough. I mean, you're competing against guys on tour and everything else. But, uh, you know, as they have it now, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be a co-chairman for uh, Caddy Hospitality during the U.S. Open. But I would like nothing better to have the opportunity to play in one more Open. If I had to pick one more, it would be, you know, play at my home course uh, in 2016. Yeah. It, uh it's a heck of a place. It's uh, we've taken down all the trees now, and uh, you right. can literally sit on the porch in the evening and you can see the entire golf course uh, from one vantage point. It's really a remarkable place, extraordinarily hard, and um, you know it's it's uh, it would be it would be a dream if I could play one more open, and that would be the place I would choose. I read an article where you were interviewed prior to when the open was there last. To your point, when you played there. Um, you were you were quoting Tiger where he said Oakmont is a quirky golf course and you agreed saying it's a it's a course you can't learn in one or two rounds. When your peers on tour ask you for advice about the course, is is one of those pieces of advice to get out there and play just as many rounds as you possibly can prior to the event? Oh, absolutely. It's uh, you know prior to the 2007 Open, I gave David a call in February. And I just said, listen, David, I just said, uh, this golf course is really custom made for you. I said, it's not going to, re- you know, obviously, David, as I said earlier, he is sneaky long. He's 285 long. He's not 330 long. He's 285 long. And I told him, I said, David, I said, the golf course is custom made for you because the golf course really plays well with a fade. Uh, you've got plenty of length to be able to play it. I said, but you're going to have to get up here and take a look at it prior to the Open Championship to be able to, you know, take a look to see where the ball lands and what the ball does and the greens, this, that, and the other. And he just said, you know, man, he said, I'm going to try to get up there earlier. And David's a very good family man. He's, he's got two kids. And, uh, you know, at that time, Carter was really, his, his oldest child, Carter, was really into baseball, Little League baseball. So David was doing a lot of travel team baseball with Carter on his weeks off. And so I, I spoke with him again in, in April and May. And he just, I just don't think, he said, I don't think I'm going to be able to get up there. So David came up, he got up there on Monday, and we spoke, and I, I you know, gave him more, what I thought about where to hit it, especially off the tee and into the greens. And, you know, he, he played two and a half practice rounds there, and David ended up finishing fifth. I honestly believe, I honestly believe um, that had David come in and, and maybe seen it maybe two other times uh, in late May, mid-May, I honestly believe that he really could have won that golf tournament because he played so well. Um, but the fact is that Oakmont is one of those places where, um, you know, the fairways are 26 yards wide. There's 211 bunkers on the golf course. Uh, the bunkers are extraordinarily penal. 
Uh, and the golf, you know, the, the green complexes are like nothing you've ever seen. There's a lot of green complexes that run away from you. Um, they're, they're, bl- they're blindingly fast. I mean, my, Mike Davis, who is now the executive director of the United States Golf Association, was in charge of championships in the 2007 Open. And Mike is a, is a Pennsylvania guy from Chambersburg. And, um, you know, I would have, I, at that time, I was a player hospitality chairman uh, at the club. And I would, I'd be at the club at 5 o'clock every morning, and I would see Mike would come up, we'd have a coffee. And with dew on the greens at daybreak, the greens were rolling 15 on the stem. And so you wow. can imagine that by the time you get to 11 or 12, when they're completely dry, you know, they're running, they're running close to 16 on the stem. And it's oh, just something goodness. where um, you've got to know where to land the ball, to have the ball finish in the right place. And if you get the ball in the wrong place on those greens, you just you, – you a three putt, a three putt is a gift. Yeah, yeah, you got no chance. That's correct. Back in, back in '73, Lee Trevino said of Oakmont, "It's the only golf course that can host a U.S. Open in a week's time," which is a, a testament to how incredibly well maintained it is at championship levels at all times. You know, in the same article I was reading about you, you said regarding those greens, on a normal weekend, they triple cut them in the morning, single cut them at night, and then triple cut them again in the morning. You're talking, you know, as you mentioned a moment ago, rolling 15 or 16, that's, that's, that's you know, glass. That's like putting on a glass table. How, you know, how yes. in the world do the, does the average player, not, you know, guys of your, your stature, but the people, you know, of the membership that's there, how do you play that golf course on a day-to-day basis and not get frustrated with the game? Well, it's, you know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, that's, that's what we're known for. We're known for greens. And uh, as you said, they, they triple cut them and roll them in the, on, on the weekends where they're rolling 13, 12 to 13 on the stem every single day. And you know what? As a member, you know, you, you, kind of, you get used to it. I mean, you've got certain putts that you know. You know, you get the ball above the hole at number two, and you might have a 30-foot putt, and you're literally going to tap the ball like you're tapping in a, a one-foot putt. And you just get the ball trundling down and, uh, and, and rolling towards the hole. And it's one of those things where, you know, what I do, what I do is, is I adjust my targets. I don't putt to the hole. I putt to a spot. And if I have a, if I have a 15-foot downhill putt, uh, at Oakmont, I might pick a putt. I might pick a spot that's three feet from where my ball is. And I just try to roll the ball and stop it at that spot and let gravity take the ball the rest of the way. And a lot of the members out there at Oakmont, uh, look, you've got some, you've got some guys that are, that are, that are you know, very high handicaps that, that never get it. But the guys that are, you know, single-digit handicaps up to maybe a 15 or so, after a while you kind of get used to, you know, having a 25-foot putt and really stroking it like, you'd, like you're going to hit it five feet and just watching the ball do what it does. It's really an amazing place. You know, to to that end, does, does that mess you up? I know, you know, Tiger in the past has talked about, you know, not wanting to play the, the California swing, particularly Pebble Beach, because he feels like that has messed his game up as he's tried to, you know, move forward from there uh, in, into, you know, February, March, and in the events there. When you When you are trying to putt, on something that, you know, on the weekend is a 12 or a 13 or, you know, even faster. When you get out of there, try, is it a readjustment period to try to get back to, you know, a normal set of greens? Well, it's a great question. The, what, you know, one of, the things that you, one of the things that you need to be able to do as a touring professional is you need to be able to adapt. Um, you know, and so what I will do is that when I, you know, first of all, most of the greens, on the PGA Tour, they will start on Thursday rolling around 11, and by the time you get to Sunday, they'll be rolling about 12 and a half to 13 or so. 
Um, and so, you know, the, the greens pretty much are going to be uniform speed all throughout the year. But when you get to a new tournament, one of the things that you're doing either on Monday or Tuesday is that you're doing a lot of distance control drills, such as you lag to the fringe, three balls, and you lag, you know, you just you putt to the fringe where the ball rolls across the green, just kisses the fringe and rolls back onto the green. You do that uphill, you do that downhill, uphill, downhill. Another one where as you go and you, you get two holes that are about 25, 30 feet apart, you stick a tee in the ground uh, about a foot and a half beyond each of those cups with three balls, and you roll the balls across the grain. If it gets to the front edge of the cup but not beyond the, the tee, uh, it's a good putt. If it doesn't, you walk down there and you bring it back and you do it over again. So you, you're basically lagging to and from, to and from to get the speed of the greens down. And really by about Tuesday afternoon, you've got a pretty good idea in terms of what the greens are doing uh, for the week. And, again, it's one of those things before I play a tournament round, uh, what I will do is I will lag to the fringe prior to playing. And I will also only putt to the cups that are about a foot, foot and a half long in length in terms of the, the distance that I'm putting from the ball to the cup. And what I'm doing is this. I'm trying to get the speed of the greens down because the most important component of putting is distance control. Very rarely will somebody miss a putt 5, 8, 10 feet to the right or to the left of the hole. Very often will they leave it 5 feet short, 8 feet short, knock it 10 feet by. So distance control is your most important component. And so what I do before I play is I lag to the fringe to get the speed of the greens down on that particular day. And then the only putts that I putt to a cup are from a foot and a half. And what I'm doing there is I am practicing my makes. When you go out on a putting green prior to somebody playing, usually they're practicing you know, six, eight, ten-foot putts to cups, and the ball might break a foot, and they're there with three balls, and they hit a putt, and it misses, hit a putt, and it misses, hit a putt, and it misses. And basically what they're doing is they're practicing their misses. I don't want to practice my makes. And so when I get to the first tee, number one, through my distance control drills, I know the speed of the grains. And number two, when I get to the first tee, I've made every single putt that I've looked at. And so I've got high confidence that I'm, I'm, I'm holding the putt. I'm used to hearing the ball hit the bottom of the cup used to picking it out of the cup, and I've got my, my speed down. So, again, as, as, a, as a touring professional, although you know, you're, you're, you're changing venues from week to week, the green speeds are pretty uniform, but you do distance control drills to get yourself acclimated to you know, the greens. And, and, and really, it's, it's really going from you know, the southern swing up into the bent grass. You've know, you got to understand how, how Bermuda grass works and how grain works in the south, where you know, if, you're on a, if you're on a perfectly flat surface, the grains can have a tendency to grow towards the southwest. Otherwise, the grain always follows the way that the water would drain off the grain. So it's, it's kind of understanding, you know, uh, 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 grain rules going from south to north. When you get up in the north, it, they do have grain, but it doesn't affect it as much. Mm-hmm. Bob, one of, our, um, one of our fellow Pittsburgh area natives, Jim Furyk, had 11 top 10s and four second-place finishes in his 21 events last season. He's going to turn 45 in May. Are you watching and rooting for Jim to get over the hump You know, one more time, particularly in a major? Oh, absolutely. Jim Furyk is a fantastic guy. I know Mike. I know his dad, Mike. I know Jim. I know Tabitha. He's a wonderful guy. Uh, you know, there's another guy that really, you know, he hit that freakishly long tee shot there at number 17 at Oakmont, put himself nowhere. Uh, long into the left of the green, we had no chance. Otherwise, he probably would have been hosting the U.S. Open Championship Trophy at Oakmont instead of Angel Cabrera. Uh, Jim is a great is a, is a great guy, great striker of the golf ball. Um, you know, the, the, the neatest thing about Jim Furyk, when you go and you take a look at his golf swing, very unusual golf swing, um, right. since he's been out there, he has improved it, but he's never changed it. 
And when you're sitting there on the range and you're looking at all these fantastic golf swings and these, these beautiful moves of Adam Scott and Rory McIlroy and Davis Love and Ernie Els, you get out there and you're thinking, geez, you know, what am I doing? You know, how do we look at these guys this side and the other? Jim Furyk has always had the confidence, the strong confidence and strong belief in himself that his method was perfect for him. And so it takes an awful lot of courage, an awful lot of guts to stick with a very unconventional move such as he has had. But the, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, the guy's won a dozen times on the PGA Tour. He's won a U.S. Open. He's played numerous Ryder Cups and President's Cups. He's a great putter. But, he, you know, the most important thing is we talked earlier. You know, your putting's important, but your, you know, your driver, if you can drive the ball and play him, will take the pressure off the rest of your game. Jim Furyk is a tremendously accurate driver, and he's a great putter. So those two components there are really what is, has, has really led to him having such a wonderful career as he's had. Yeah, no. And I tell you what, you know, Bob, I, if you, when I project forward to 2016, if it's not you that, that's, in the, that's in the field, you know, trying to win that golf tournament, um, you know, my, my chips will be behind Jim because, you know, what a storybook, uh, you know, victory that would be for him to come home, you know, outside the Pittsburgh area and win a U.S. Open there at Oakmont. Uh, that sort of movie book uh, or movie uh, stuff. Well, yeah, again, it was one of those things where, uh, you know, he and Tiger tied for second behind Cabrera. It had been wonderful to see Jim win that, but, uh, look, in 2016, he's going to be 46. And, uh, you know, he's, he's again, it's a, Oakmont is not a golf course that can be overpowered. You can't go out there and overpower that golf course. Um, it requires precision and requires the proper shape, and Jim's got that. And, uh, you know, provided, uh, you know, his nerves still stay as good as they are, he's going he's gonna to be right up in there come Sunday, I believe. Let's talk a little, just uh, for a moment about, Tiger Woods and, and and what he's doing. Were you surprised by his choice of Chris Como as his new uh, his new swing coach? Well, I think that you know, when you go and you take a look at it, I was actually surprised that he went to Sean Foley and Hank Haney. To be honest with you, because both of those guys, and I'm not taking anything away from them, they're very good teachers, but they're method teachers. Um, you can't teach a method for everybody. There are certain body types that will work for a certain method. Um, but the fact is you've got to be able to teach to somebody's body type. You know, the first thing that Hank Haney did with Tiger Woods was weaken his left-hand grip and get him swinging more rotary, more around and, and deeper in his swing plane, where you've got a guy with a chest as large as Tiger's and shoulders as large as Tiger's. It's not going to work. And so what we saw with Hank Haney, and what Hank Haney will say is, well, under me, he won this many majors, this, that, and the other. Yes, but a lot of that goes to experience. A lot of that goes to improved experience of Tiger Woods. But the fact of the matter is, under Hank Haney, we saw Tiger Woods hit these tee shots that looked like interplanetary travelers. I mean, you never saw Jack Nicklaus hit a tee shot two fairways over at any golf tournament. And yet Tiger Woods was doing that on a relatively consistent basis. And because of his power and his imagination and his deep talent, he was able to kind of make up for that. Yes, he won a lot of majors while working with Hank Haney, but I don't think his ball striking improved. And then he goes to Sean Foley, who, again, in an effort probably to save his left knee, another method teacher. Where he's gone with now, this Como guy, is a biometrics guy. And I'm a firm believer that biometrics is the, is the future of the teaching of this game. I've worked with Jim Suddy since 1999. He's got a Ph.D. in biomechanics. And, and, and Doc Suddy really is the forebearer of all of these biometrics teachers. He basically wrote the book on this. And so I like his choice of going to some guy that's got a deep background in biometrics. I just don't think that Tiger needs to be all that 
all that technical. I think that this guy, from what I understand, that this guy's going to be basically work as a, as a different pair of eyes. But I like the choice because the guy is a biometrics guy and not a method teacher. So I think it's a good choice for Tiger. If uh, you know one of one of your good friends and a guy I have really enjoyed getting to know, Eric Johnson, who's the director of instruction at Oakmont and one of Golf Magazine's top 100 instructors. Eric's going to be back on the show with me again uh, a little later, or at the end of the month on the 31st. But if if Tiger had chosen Eric to be his new swing coach, you, you talk about you know method and, and you know and, and the mechanics and all that sort of thing. But what Tiger Woods brings with him as well as if if it doesn't work out, you're going to get a whole bunch of scrutiny for being Tiger's coach. If, if, if Tiger had chosen Eric, would you have called him up and said, you know, hey, congratulations, or, dude, are you really sure you want to do this? Uh, I would have congratulated him because, number one, Eric is a very, Eric's a very capable teacher. And, uh, you know, he is, he, he, again, he's one of Golf Digest's best. And the nice, you know what I like about Eric? Eric can play. You know, there's a lot of guys out there teaching. And there's a lot of guys out there that are hanging the shingle out. I'm a teacher. They can't play dead in the Western. And I'm a firm believer <laughs> in that. Well, no, it is. It's true. I'm a firm believer that if somebody is going to be able to teach the game, they had better be able to play the game at a pretty good level. And I'm not saying PGA Tour. I'm saying you need to be able to go out there as a teacher and as a teaching professional. You need to be going out there, and you need to be able to break 75 on a consistent basis. And, and, you know, a lot of these guys teaching cannot, they, they can't play it. They can't play a lick. And for me, if I'm going to go and if I'm going to work with somebody, if people get older, you know, a little bit older, this, that, that, but at one time they were able to play, that's, that's a lot different than a guy that goes out there and says, yes, I'm a teacher. What do you, well, I, you know, I finished, my best finish, I finished ninth in the pro waitress event last, and my scoring average is 81.6. I mean, I, you know, what does this, what can this guy really teach me as an accomplished player, what can this guy really teach me that I already don't know? I'm not saying that tour players know everything. Again, what tour players use their teachers for is an extra is an extra set of eyes for the most part. The game is the teaching of the game has really changed with the with the V1 interactive softwares and the and, and the Uber the Uber sense software that you have that you can go and you can put this stuff there, draw your lines. If you if, if you've played for a while and if you work long enough with teachers, you're going to have a pretty good idea in terms of what you need to do with the golf club. But most of the guys on tour are using a teacher as a different set of eyes. Unless, again, unless you get into a method teacher, which I'm just not a fan of method teachers. Can't play dead in a Western. I'm going to steal that from you. That's fantastic. I love that you're line. More, you're more than welcome. I'm sure that I stole it <laughs> somewhere down the road. Everything kind of gets borrowed from someone. <laughs> Uh, a couple more, Bob, before we let you go. We can't thank you enough for being generous with your time this morning. Yesterday, Rory McIlroy made his first professional hole-in-one at the 177-yard par-3 at the Abu Dhabi HSBC Golf Championship, which I was surprised to hear that was his first one as a pro. Shifting to you, have you made one out on tour? Yes. Yes, I have. Um, I've made a total of five in my life. Uh, my nice. first one came at Marion, and my first one came in Marion at Marion on the 13th hole in '95, just out there playing with uh, Jeff Gallagher, another guy playing the Web.com tour. We had a a day where I got us on Marion, went out there and played, and made a hole in one the 13th hole. And then in 1998, I made one in a in a, in a cancer society benefit um, at Polo Trace down in Delray. And then in '99, I made a hole in one on the par three eighth hole at the Players Championship during the tournament. Hit a four wow. in from 220. Got that. I actually have that on DVD. 
And then later that same year, I made a hole-in-one on the par-3 12th hole at Annandale for the Southern Farm Bureau Classic, the 12th hole, 165 yards. I hit a 7-iron in there. And then um, I actually made one last year playing a practice round, or I should say 2013, playing a practice round at the um, uh, Champions Tour qualifier on the 8th hole. I hit a 4-iron in from 216 yards. Nice. So I made four, but I made, nice. I've, made two, I've, I've made two on tour in the same year in 99. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's Bob, pretty cool. Um, you've talked about, you know, your your home course there, Pikewood National Golf Club. Dal Finsterwald, who had a, a wonderful career out on tour, yeah. including you know victories at the 1958 PGA Championship. He had four Ryder Cup appearances, captained the team in 77 at Royal Lytham in St. Anne's. He said of Pikewood National, it's the most difficult, beautiful, and fair golf course in the world, which is you know high praise and accurate from the pictures that I've seen online. But um, you've talked a little bit about Pikewood, but uh, what's the latest going on out there? Well, Dow is our pro emeritus. And he is one of the great gentlemen, one of the great gentlemen in the game of golf. Dow has become a very good friend of mine. Love him to death. He is a cagey veteran, and uh, as you said, he's got a tremendous career behind him. Um, you know, the golf course is, a, is is fantastic. On a clear day, and I'm down here in Orlando. It's perfectly crystal clear. On a clear day, you can see 60 air miles, but the fairways are flat, which is highly unusual for a mountain course. We're a mountain course. We're 2,300 feet. Uh, the yardage from the men's tees all the way forward is 67.52. From all the way back, it's 75.53. And it's, wow. it's very hard. It's, uh, the slope from the men's tees is 147. The slope from all the way back um, is one is, is they, because they cap it at 155, you can't go beyond that. But actually, our slope actually from all the way back is 182. Um, it's perfect, perfect bent grass, wall to wall. We've got our Golf course superintendent Brent Bentley, who was an Oakmont guy, was at Oakmont for 10 years. He's an Ohio State turfgrass grad, and uh, he is an absolute eats, sleeps, and drinks turfgrass. And the golf course is impeccable. It's walking only. We don't have any carts, so you've got to you got to go out with a caddy, carry your own, or use a pool cart. And um, it's very exclusive, very private, and um, it really is. Uh, as I said, it's ranked 44th in the United States and 74th in the world. It's the number one rated golf course in the state of West Virginia, and it is uh, it is like nothing I've ever seen before. Will there be a tour event out there in the not-too-distant future? No, no, that's not uh, that's not the intent of the owner. The owner, uh, the golf course is for our members and their guests, and I uh, think uh, it, the best way to kind of categorize or characterize uh, Pikewood National Golf Club, if you were to picture Pine Valley in the 20s, in the early 20s, this is what Pikewood National Golf Club is about. Every hole is segregated by, by trees. Uh, you feel like you're out there playing by yourself, even though, you know, you might have groups in every single hole. You feel like you're out there and you have the whole golf course by yourself. It's impeccably maintained. It's impeccably uh, designed in terms of the, the character of the holes and the, the variety of the holes. And um, it's just, like I said, it's just like you wouldn't expect to see something like that there. It's, it's remarkable. Bob, tell our listeners, you know, about the shows that you host on the Back Nine Network locally up there in West Virginia, plus how they can keep track of you over social media. Yeah, well, what I do is I, I will be a fill-in host, and I, I do frequent spots on the Back Nine Network with Matt Adams on Sirius yep. XM Radio, uh, Sirius 208, uh, Sirius 208 XM 93 on PGA Tour Radio with Matt Adams and Brian Katrick and John McGinnis, all those guys. And then I also have my own radio show, 
called Key to Green on the West Virginia Radio Network. Uh, we stream that live on WV Metro News, and it's usually from the middle of April until the end of August. And on Twitter, I am at Bob Friend underscore Golf on Twitter. And uh, before we sign off, I know we're running short on time here. I want to say thank you to all the men and women around the world and in the United States that serve our country and protect the freedoms that we all enjoy as Americans. And not just our men and women in the military, but also the police officers that seem to be getting a beating uh, recently this past summer. I think what's gone on is ridiculous. So all those people that protect and serve, uh, whether it be the police force, the fire department, or our military, my hat's off to all of you, and I can't thank you enough for preserving our freedom and our liberty. That's fantastic. Bob, thank you so much for taking time out of your morning and being so generous with your time this morning to be back on the show. Like I said last week, and I mean this you know, from the heart, when Paul joined me, uh, Paul Stankowski joined me, and I've said it over social media as well. My dream FISM is my father, you, Paul Stankowski, and Eric Johnson, because you guys are absolutely the best. Thank you so much. Well, Chris, it's my pleasure. Again, you're the most uh, prepared interviewer I've ever come across, and uh Thank you so much for letting me on your show, and have a wonderful weekend. You do the same, Bob. Best of luck to you, and I look forward to catching up with you hopefully again here real soon. Thanks so much, Chris. Be good. All right, you too. Take care, Bob. Friend Junior, my friends, you want to talk about a great guy and talk about you know some nice instruction there at the top of the show from Bob about getting your game ready. And uh, I'll tell you what, um, that piece about the, you know from 100 yards in, is uh, is absolutely spot on. I've heard it time and time again. Like I said uh, a little bit little bit ago, Mr. Player has you know preached that you know, for as long as you know. I think he's been out there teaching the game and, and uh, teaching uh, you know folks whether it's at pro ams or wherever he's been because it's absolutely right. You want to shave some strokes off your game? To Bob's you know better you know even uh, further point you know hit it closer. You know no doubt. That's uh, that's some fantastic advice and I uh, can't thank Bob enough for being a part of the show. All right, folks, before we close up shop, I want to let you know one more time about uh, the, the wonderful book, A Golden 18, written by Roger Schiffman and the photography by one of our friends, one of the great photographers anywhere on the planet, Jim Mandeville. Jim, you know, is the director of photography at the Nicholas Companies. The book showcases some of Mr. Nicholas's greatest golf course designs. The stories about the courses are wonderfully written, and the photography is simply out of this world. As, as you've heard me say, it's so good, you're going to want a second copy of the book so you can take some of the pictures out, frame them, and stick them up on the walls. To get your copy, go to nicholas.com and hover over products and partners and then click on books and videos. If you love golf and stunning photography, this is the book you're going to want to have. All right, everybody, it's time to put a bow on this one. My sincere thanks one more time to Bob Friend Jr. for being such a great guest with me this morning. We can't thank you enough for taking time to tune in as well. We appreciate you the very most. Please check out our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, with uh, with me, my co-host Bob Lazari, and our announcer, Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live every Thursday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Blog Talk Radio. It's rebroadcast on Friday nights from 8 to 10 uh, on Boost Radio. You can also find that show on iHeartRadio as well, Spreaker, Stitcher, all kinds of places out online. Uh, We're joined every single week by legends from around the NFL and the CFL. Please check out uh, check out uh, both show sites on Facebook. Give us a like. That's very important to us, too. Uh, and you can find us online. This show is next on the T.net and ThursdayNightTailgate.com. You can stream or download any of our archived episodes for free and keep up to date with who uh, our future guests are going to be by going out and checking out those sites online. Thanks again for choosing to listen to the show today. I appreciate you very much. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. 
Exciting the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii. Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii.